0: If you have a Bible today, let's open up to the book of Revelation chapter 15, and it's really cool going to the book of Revelation. I I will say this, that for whatever reason, some people think it's a complicated book, um, sophisticated and hard to interpret, but you're going to see even today that it's rather straightforward. And one of the things that you guys are going to notice in reading through your Bibles and even in our study today is it's pretty simple, you guys. When you study your Bible, you see that you know, God made the world. Sin separated us from God. And so um, if you read your reading today, you'll notice that God judged the world. Remember in uh, the times of Noah, the flood came. And so God doesn't mess around. God will judge sin. But then he brought Noah out of it. And then real quick, what you see is the rise of Israel. Why the rise of Israel? Because through them, Jesus would come. And so when you start reading your Bible, and you start reading your Old Testament, you're gonna find that it's pretty simple. You know, God's people, Israel, they, they mess up and stuff and God disciplines them, but he doesn't destroy them because they're his people. But all the other nations, man, the ones, especially the ones that come against Israel, but God judges all the other nations. And it's so simple. When you're reading through Ezekiel, you're reading through Jeremiah, you're reading through Hosea, you're reading through Amos, it doesn't matter. It's just pretty much that. You'll see it everywhere. The rise of Israel, the way that God sustains his people, he does discipline them, but he doesn't destroy them. And basically what we see is that God does judge sin. And so the world that we're living in today, I tell you what, we are ripe for judgment. We are ripe. And so God will bring judgment. And so I don't know how far we have. The Lord might come this year. He might come today. He might come a thousand years. I don't know for sure, but I'll tell you what. You know, when you're a healthy Christian, even Paul in his day, he thought, you know, the Lord might come in my day. And so we always have to be ready for the return of the Lord. And so if I were to ask you guys this question, how many of you here believe in justice? Justice, you would always raise your hand, right? We all believe in justice. If O.J. Simpson is guilty and he got away with it, it's not right, it's not right, it's not just. You know, and, and so when you think about justice, you gotta think about judgment. And that's what we're gonna see in our study today. God is gonna judge and it's a righteous judgment and he's a holy God and we should actually rejoice in that. But another thing we're going to see besides justice is this thing called repentance. Repentance. And so repentance begins with the day that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, no longer just here, but here. No longer uh, unbelieving, but believing. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist came, he told, people, he told people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came, same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, when the apostles went out, they, they taught that same message, repent. And you see it throughout the scriptures. So we're going to see it today. And so it begins, first of all, have, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is he calling the shots? Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe he rose again? Do you believe that he's your salvation? Have you embraced him as your Lord and Savior? And then when you become a Christian, have you um, dealt with the sin in your life? You know, the last thing in the world you want is for the Lord to come and there is sin in your life. I was just tripping out on this one guy, you know, famous Christian man, but underneath the whole thing, from what I understand the whole time he was living in, in sexual sin. And so um, what I would encourage you to do, and we're going to see it today, is, man, get rid of the sin. Is there anything in your life that you're holding on to and the Holy Spirit is saying, no, that doesn't belong. I trip out on how some people are looking at pornography and they come and the things that I discover, you know, the affairs and the sexual immorality. And there's other things. There's the drugs, there's the alcohol, there's all the other stuff and all I can say is that for us as Christians, and Jesus is coming. It's just time to come clean. And, and the things that you're doing that you're not supposed to be doing, you got you to gotta, you gotta kill that sin. And the things that you should, should be doing and you're not doing, listen, it's time. We're going to see it in our study today that we have to have that heart of repentance. You know, I was reading one quote about repentance because sometimes people hear that word and they think, well, that's such a, a harsh word that you're sharing. But in all reality, it's a beautiful word. One person said, uh, true repentance never leads to despair. It leads home. And it's true. When you, when you finally just say, you know what, enough. I'm not going to live in that anger. I'm not going to live in that hatred. I'm not going to live in that unforgiveness. I'm not going to live in that bondage where relationships are not right. I'm going to come and do everything I can to make them right. You know, you, you come to that place of repentance. You know, I like what Corey Tenboom said. She said four marks of true repentance are number one, acknowledgement of wrong. Number two, a willingness to confess it. Number three, a willingness to abandon it. And then number four, a willingness to make restitution. And so we'll talk more about it as we go through our study here today. Uh, Revelation 15 and 16, we first we see the singing, and then we see the sentence. let say, okay? first the singing. Look at verse 1, Revelation 15. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like this, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory, here it is, over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. And you might want to circle that or underline it. Just make note of it. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations shall come and worship before you for your judgments have been manifested. And here we see they're singing the song of Moses. They're singing the song of the Lamb. And and why are they singing? Um, It's because it's about to be finished, man. That when you go to the book of Revelation, you have the seven seals followed by the seven trumpets. And then it ends with the seven bulls. And these bulls, are going to be poured out and they're going to be done swiftly and so there's this singing there's this rejoicing that goes on notice again there in verse one that he saw the sign in heaven great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them the wrath of god is complete and so there's a singing for the fact that this is about to be completed There's also the singing regarding the fact that here's people who are conquerors in the tribulation period. Now, if you're a Christian right now and you're right with God, then you're going to get raptured and that can happen at any moment. So you better be ready you better be ready. But those who are not raptured, those who are left behind, they're going to be here during the seven-year tribulation. And when you're here, if that individual is here in the seven-year tribulation, because you've been living in sexual sin, because you've been living in whatever that sin might be, then what ends up happening is you are going to have a war with the beast. Now, some people aren't going to make it. Some will. They're going to wake up. They're going to come to that place of a genuine, heartfelt, sincere relationship with God. And what we find right here is that they have this victory over the beast. They don't take the mark. And we find that this the reason they're singing, they're singing here, number one, is because of the completion, and number two, because of the fact that they are able to conquer. These are those that we read of back in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. The tribulation saints, you also read about in chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. And then you read the content of the song, and it's kind of cool. Uh, Why is it described as the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb? And, and more than likely, the reason it has those two descriptions is because Moses was the instrument that was used by God to set the people free and bring them out of the land of Egypt, out of the life of bondage, right? Moses was that instrument, but he was just a picture of what Jesus would ultimately do, how he would bring us out of the world, how he would bring us out of those chains, and how he would set us free, And he would be the one ultimately to lead us to the promised land. This place of victorious Christian living, this place of heaven one day where we'll be. And we read this song right here, and we read first of all uh, regarding the works. Notice what he says, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. And they're singing, and they have harps And I don't know if it's, maybe it's a literal harp, maybe it's a guitar, maybe it's a piano. Maybe they're instruments that we've never even really seen on this side of time. But what do you think the worship is going to be like in heaven? It's going to be absolutely amazing, right? And so you've got the musical instruments, you've got them praising God because his works are great, his works are marvelous, and then, secondly, because his ways, it says right there, are just and true. And this is a big thing to come away with in the midst of what we're going to see in the book of Revelation. You know, some people, they're like, man, I don't get it, you know. Why does he have to punish them? Why does that individual have to do time? Why do they have to be, you know, they're experiencing whatever it is, the death sen- sentence. Um, what? Why this thing called hell? This thing called the lake of fire. You know, and, and people, sometimes they question God's morality and we're going to see later the reason why people go in the lake of fire forever and ever is because at the end of the day, they will never change. I mean, we, we meet people here on earth and we think, man, they'll never change. And then, you know, sometimes they do change. And so we don't know, but God knows. We're going to see it. It's just crazy. When you sin, you sin against God. And, and there are those who, you know what, they'll never change. And so guess what? They will never stop suffering the punishment for the fact that they'll never change. And that's why you got to make sure that you get that right here. You get that right now. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, if Jesus Christ comes into your life, then you will change. C.H. Spurgeon said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. And so we have to follow to God and ask him, listen, when they're singing this song, they're praising him. Great and marvelous are your works, just and true are your ways, and how God is worthy. Notice again, it says right there in verse four, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, all nations shall come, And worship before you. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. During the millennial kingdom, all nations will worship, will serve him. He says right here, for your judgments have been manifested. And so we begin with the singing and then we continue with the sentence. Look at verse 5. It says, after these things I looked And behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And so we're about to get into the bowls. But before we get to the bowls, we need to know the background. As we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, the phrase, after these things, we see it there in verse 5. It introduces a kind of a shift in vision, and John now sees the background to what the Lord calls the seven bowls of wrath. And John looks, and he sees the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. Now it's open. Uh, The Greek word interesting for temple here is nous, and it literally speaks of the inner shrine, the inner sanctuary. It's the holiest of holies within the temple. And so, out of that place of perfect pure purity. Out of that place of God's presence, these seven angels are sent to this planet with seven plagues for the people. Now these seven angels, they have their chests girded with gold bands, signifying the fact that they're God's representatives. And then one of the four living creatures we saw back in chapter four and verse six, he gives to the seven angels seven bowls and they're filled. Think about it with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. They're golden bowls, reminding us that they're God's bowls. And it's important for us to keep in mind that this is not the judgment of angels. This is the judgment of the Almighty. And even Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16 calls it the wrath of the Lamb. And so uh, why the wrath of the lamb? And some people might even think that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, the wrath of a lamb. But what we got to know is that Jesus, when he's described as the lamb, we see him there that he was the one who died for us. And so, man, when you think of judgment, think of the fact that it doesn't have to be that way, that Jesus provided a way. But if you refuse the way, then you will experience the wrath. And that's what we see here. You know, it's interesting when you look at the wrath of the lamb, how Jesus came the first time in humility, but he will come the second time in majesty. He came the first time as a lamb, but the second time he will come as a lion. And the first time he came as a sower, but the second time he comes as a reaper. And so the angels, it's not the wrath of angels. They're just agents for the wrath of God. They deprive from his presence as the temple is filled. It says right here with the smoke of his glory, not allowing anyone in until the calamities are complete. And so, you know, when I, when I look at this, I'm like, wow, Lord, this is the end. Huh? This is you wrapping it up. This is you finishing it so that we can have, you know, the new beginning." Just like we ended 2020, and the day came, and then boom, we're off to a new year. One day we'll be there, and there'll be no more time. You know, when you look at this right here, you see um, the smoke, and it fills the temple. No one's allowed to go in. Um, That's where we get that phrase, holy smoke. I think some of you have probably heard of that. And some churches, they have smoke machines because they're trying to manipulate it, make it seem, you know, like it's something that, you know, it's special, um, no, um, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God. It's His holiness. It's His majesty. It's His purity. It's Him. And every once in a while, you'll see pictures like this in the Old Testament. For example, when the Jews finished completing the tabernacle, you read it in Exodus 40, 34 through 35. It says, And the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You know, you see the same thing in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, when Solomon completed the temple. You see something similar when Isaiah was allowed to see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up and on that throne, And you guys might remember in the context of missions, in the context of going out and God wanting to reach the world, how that whole, you know, that place where that Lord was sitting on that throne was just filled with his glory. And, you know, Isaiah was then sent to the world. And so there are those times, and we see it here again, where God is holy and we see it, no one can enter his presence who is unholy. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 6, we saw that God is holy, holy, holy. And it's important for us to understand that background before we look at the bowls. And that's what we see next in Revelation chapter 16. Notice what it says in verse 2. And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now, just as a side note here, in the Greek language, the word translated bowls, it actually is suggestive of rapidity in emptying the contents of the bowl. And so, you know, you can see a bowl and someone can kind of tip it over and it'll kind of come out slow. But in the Greek language, that's not what we see here. We see the bowl and it's just boom, it goes down. Next one, boom, it goes down. That's why the Lord said, when I come, I'm going to come quickly. It's going to happen like that. And that's what we see as we've gone through the seven seals and we've gone through the seven trumpets. And now we go through the seven bowls. Teachers actually tell us that the seven seals of chapter six, they give a general view of the events of the tribulation. while the seven trumpets refer to judgments over an extended period of time. But these final seven judgments, they fall fast and they fall hard. What's happening? It's the justice of God. It's the judgment of God. It's the holiness of God. And the first one we see here is painful. These are incurable sores upon all those who have the mark of the beast, who who worship his image or his statue. Again, we're not going to be here because we got raptured up, but those who got left behind and those who took the mark, those are the ones that are going to experience this sore. And what we find right here, these are foul and loathsome. They're festering, they're ugly, they're malignant, and they're painful. You know, it's similar to the sixth plague upon Egypt, and it was at that point, if you guys remember in the story back in Exodus, that the magicians could not duplicate or imitate God's wonder or God's wrath. You read that in Exodus 9, 9 through 11. This is God. This is God who's doing this. Then you read the second bowl in verse 3. It says, and then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, again, this is similar to the second trumpet that we saw um, back earlier in the book of Revelation, where one-third of the creatures died, but here we see they all die. You know, the water is turning to blood again. It reminds us of Exodus 7, 17 through 21. And even of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, verse 6, who are empowered to turn water into blood. Now, when you think about it, think about all the oceans turning to blood. Seventy percent of our earth is covered with uh, ocean water. And then you have the polar ice caps. Imagine them melting then the water level uh, uh, rising, or whatever you might call it, the blood level. I mean, basically what you see at this point is blood everywhere. Every, why though? Why would God do this? Because of the blood that we have shed over the years. I mean, you think of just the abortions alone. You think of the world that we're living in now. I think it was Argentina recently. They just uh, passed legislation so that now killing babies is legal. And they were partying in the streets. And all the other Latin nations that surround them, no doubt, they will follow suit. And you think of all the murder. You think of all the unnecessary wars. You think of all that blood. And you think that we're going to get away with it? No way. And so, you know, not just sores where it's undeniably God dealing with people, but now you have blood everywhere, not just the oceans, also the fresh water. Uh, We read in verse 4, the third bowl, it says, and then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was. And who is to be? You see how the angels see it. Just as a quick side note, you see they don't see like, "Oh, God is mean. Look what God is doing." The the ones who really know the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, they see this is this is perfect. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous, are your judgments. Again, when you look at this, it's similar to the third trumpet in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, and verse 10. I mean, how are people going to survive without these waters? You know, some of you here, even though we're not going to be here, they're like, well, I'll get some bottled water. Listen, Sam's are going to be out of bottled water, man. You're not going to have enough. I mean, the Colorado River where we get most of our water from, uh, a river that's 1,440 miles. Imagine that. It's all, it's all blood. Imagine. You know, when you look at this again, I know that this is the righteous judgment of God. Those of you who are going through the one-year Bible, and I do pray a lot of you guys, you know, you catch that vision. Uh, Today, we read about the judgment of Noah, uh, the judgment where Noah was spared and God judged the whole world. Listen, there's precedence to this. He's done it before and he will do it again. You know, a lot of people, unfortunately, they don't agree with the judgment of God because uh, the fact that they themselves don't understand his holiness But God is righteous and God is true. The world has shed the blood of babies and believers and prophets and saints, and their judgment is now due. You know, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, Abraham asked, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham knew that God would do right, and he did. You might remember back in Genesis chapter 18, what did God do? God then went, sent the angels, he rescued Lot, and he rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, when you read the scriptures, we know that David knew God would do right. He wrote in Psalm 19, verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. And Paul wrote of the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God in Romans chapter 2 and verse 5. Imagine that. He called the day of wrath the day of the righteous judgment of God. Now, this is what we see happening, you guys. And we know that our planet, our people, this world is overdue. Look what we read next in verse 8. It says, And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl in the sun, And power was given to him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. You know, and, and it doesn't take much. Uh, for those of you who have studied these things, you might remember, you know, when you had studied the, the way that, you know, the, the, our planetary system is and the sun 93 million miles away. And if our earth was just a little bit closer, how hot it would be just a little bit farther, how, how we would melt, uh, how it would be cold and all these things, how it would change. And this is what we see right here. All God does is just a little closer. And what we're seeing is that God is trying to warn the world, hey, you know, this is a little glimpse, a little taste of what it would be like when you're separated from me for eternity. We see right here the heat. What God does is allows them to be scorched. But notice it says that they still did not repent and give God the glory. You know, when you read Revelation uh, chapter 16, we're going to see it again in verse 11, chapter nine, verse 21. That's all God is asking. You know, one verse I want you to turn to real quick is Revelation chapter two. In verse 21, And notice what God says right here. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality And she did not repent. You know, God gives time. God gives time. You know, we got to make sure that we don't take advantage of that time. You know, God knows what's going on. One of the things that I've learned as a a pastor and just learning all these things about what happens to people who are sometimes even whatever spokesmen or leaders of ministries or things like that is that God can speak to a donkey. You know, God can use anybody. Just because an individual might be what we you know, consider used by God doesn't mean that they're right necessarily. You know, it's a, it's a mysterious thing to, to see, but I know that Jesus did say that one day people would come to him and uh, they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many wonders in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. And so what does that tell me? It tells me it doesn't matter like what position you might have in the ministry or or those types of things that are on the outside or superficial. What matters is what's going on in the heart. And and did you truly, genuinely love God? Did you deal with the sin in your life? Did you give it to God? Did you kill it? No, because that shows that you're real. That shows that you're saved. There's a lot of people, they go to church and maybe they've gone through the motions and it doesn't necessarily mean they know the Lord. There is this intimate personal relationship that we got to have with him. And sometimes people don't have it and they're like, man, well, I tried. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't work for me. And let me tell you something, if that's you, more than likely it's because there's sin in your life that you're not giving over to God. And God's been dealing with you and this and that and the other, but you might take it as, well, some natural catastrophe or just whatever. It wasn't God, and and it's God. It's God dealing with us to try to get us right. But here, after all these things, imagine the sores that they're experiencing in a personal way. You know, the, the waters everywhere turned to blood you know, the sun and the heat, it says right here, they still did not repent and give him glory. Listen, I know we can't be perfect. I understand that. But there should be no sin that you're justifying or holding on to in your life. Very important for us to understand that. Notice again, he even gives you more of a glimpse of what hell is going to be like in verse 10. It says, and then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of the pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. When you look at this right here, we see the same thing uh, in Revelation chapter 8. In verse 12, we see it as the ninth plague upon Egypt when darkness fell on the land, a darkness that according to Exodus 10, verse 21, think about it, it could be felt. According to the Lord Jesus, this is the characteristic of hell. Jesus warned the Jews and really all of us in Matthew 8 and verse 12, he said, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And even though they can't necessarily see it, they can feel it. And we got to make sure that it does something to us and it changes our hearts. You know, we got to have that healthy fear of God. Again, we see the cumulative judgment was not effective. And it really, when I was thinking about this, it it brings to mind uh, that story, a true account in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, do you remember when the, the rich man and Lazarus died and they both you know were cast into where they belong? The rich man went into the flames and the poor man, Lazarus, was at Abraham's bosom. And as this man is suffering in the flames, suffering in the heat, he looks across and he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus. And he says, hey, can you send Lazarus over here and maybe he can dip his finger in water and touch me on my tongue because I'm being tormented in these flames. And Abraham says, no, there's a chasm. We can't go back and forth. And so, you know, they start talking next, thing you know, the rich man says, well, can you at least do this? Can you send him back and t- to talk to my brothers? Because I have brothers, five brothers, and if they see him come back and warn him about this place, then I'm sure they'll believe. And what did Abraham say? Abraham said, if they don't believe Moses, if they don't believe the word of God, neither will they believe if someone even rises from the dead. And what does that tell you? What does it communicate? It ultimately communicates the hardness of man's heart. I mean, you can tell him anything, you can show him anything, but listen, you guys, this is where you have to be open. You have to be open to the Bible. There are some people, and they listen to a pastor, they listen to studies, and they're there, and they're judging it, and they're thinking, oh, I really don't agree with what that guy's saying. Listen, it's not me that you're disagreeing with. It's God. I mean, heaven and hell is true. Sin is true. God is holy. Judgment is coming. You got to get right with God. You know, and that goes for those who are, are non-Christians, and it also includes me. It includes all of us. You know, when you look at this, and you, and you know, you think about the darkness that can be felt, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the and the justice and judgment of God, and still they didn't change. What's it going to take that they would change? You look at the sixth bowl next, and things begin to get closer to the return of Christ. In verse 12, it says, And then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, this is Jesus talking, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. And so the the sixth bowl, the river Euphrates, it it dries up. And what we find is that this river is mentioned also in the context of the trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 9 in verse 14. And at the time of the sixth trumpet judgments, four angels were released, which had been bound at the river Euphrates, unleashing a war that would kill one-third of the human race. And so you look at the common denominators there. Uh, That one uh, ushered in a war. This one will usher in a war. When that river is dried up, it makes the way for the kings of the east. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the only ones coming to this war. Because when you read the book of Zechariah, what you find is that there is this battle now going on in Israel. There is hand-to-hand combat. Some of those soldiers are gonna be going into houses and what we find is that there's this, all this going on. Why? Because Jesus is now coming and the enemy knows it. And so what does he do? He tries to come against Christ. You know, here we see in the judgment of the sixth bowl of wrath, the judgment upon the Euphrates again as a prelude to a war. And this time the war is known as the Battle of Armageddon. I was kind of bummed because I went online and Google just to look up Armageddon, and it just came up with that movie, and there was a movie called Armageddon, and nothing to do with the Bible, man. But this is this crazy valley, the Valley of Megiddo, and all the nations of the earth are going to come, and they're gonna invade Israel, and they're gonna think they could uh, defeat Jesus Christ, but it's at that moment that he returns. You know What could possibly compel them to move like this? And we see that these these demons come out, right? Uh, notice again in, in verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing signs. And so, you know, I'll tell you this real quick. This is really the unholy trinity. You know how we have the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, They had the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So there's the three, right? And they're just lying. Uh, They've got these demons that come out. And they're performing wonders. That's why you guys have to be careful. Signs and wonders don't mean truth. This is what's true. That's why we're just encouraging you to read your Bible, man. A lot of times people will listen to that on all these other things. And man, it's like I wonder sometimes. Are you really rooted in the word? Because then you won't be fooled. But I remember um, a story, um, my wife's side of the family, they uh, were Christians, a lot of them, and I don't know if it was her grandma or her great-grandma, she had the gift of healing. And so one time they were praying over someone who had a, a, an ailment, and out of this person, out of them, came a frog. Imagine that, you know? And I, you might think, well, that's weird. And, but every once in a while, God will allow the invisible to be visible. And sometimes, not always, those physical ailments are demonic in origin. And so I I tell you that only because every time I read this, I I think of that. You're wondering, well, why are they coming out like frogs? Maybe some of you here are thinking because frogs are ugly. I don't know. But some people like frogs. I don't know. But I will say this. In one sense, probably more than likely the reason they're described as frogs is because you just got this lie that goes Boom, and it just goes boom, and it just starts hopping into these people's lives. And that's why we have to be so careful. These kings, these leaders, they think they're doing the right thing because they're being deceived by the devil, right? They're they're being lied to. What are they doing? They think they're right. They think they're moral. And what are they doing? They're coming against Jesus Christ. What a lie. You know, there are some people out there and they think, well, I'm just going to live my own life. You know, I, you, for whatever reason, the person does not want to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. What, you have a better plan than Jesus does? No way. You know, but here they are uh, the the Battle of Armageddon. When you study this, it, it's amazing. When you go to Israel, you can see the whole thing right in front of you. It's interesting that some 200 years ago, Napoleon Bonaparte, stood upon a high place in northern Israel, looking over this whole plain which stretches eastward from the foot of Mount Megiddo. And at first, when he saw it, he was silent. And then, contemplating that vast expanse of land that laid at his feet, he said, Here indeed, all the armies of the earth may gather for battle. Napoleon Bonaparte said that. And that's exactly what will happen. When we study chapter 19, we're going to see Jesus returning to smite the nations at this battle. We saw some of it back in chapter 14 in verse 20, 180 miles of blood up to a horse's bridle. And so this is the valley of Megiddo. This is the battle of Armageddon. This is coming. This is justice. This is judgment. This is true. This is the future of our world. And so there's a lot of things that we have to do. When you look at verse 15, notice again what Jesus says. Behold, I am coming as a thief, so blessed is he who watches. You know, the word watch, it really just says, you know, stay awake. Stay awake. I think sometimes many Christians can't fight because they're asleep in the light. You have found your Christian cubbyhole. Your life is now comfortable. And God doesn't necessarily want your life to be comfortable. We have to be on the cutting edge as Christians. We have to be awake. We have to be vigorous. We have to be passionate. You know, I'm so grateful, not that I have arrived in any way, but I'm so grateful to the Lord when I got saved in 1989. It didn't take long, but right away, man, He started saying, Hey, you got to serve me. You got to be involved in ministry. You have to be a bit busy about my business. You know, right away, getting involved with the young adults and serving in the ministry. Right away, getting involved in men's ministry and going to conferences and serving and setting things up. Right away, you know, for whatever reason, starting a Bible study. You know, going to convalescent homes and preaching and even doing worship with my wife right away, you know, going to places. And there was this one place in Pomona, and we got the opportunity to teach for years to these people who had mental breakdowns. And some of them were former lawyers or doctors or professionals, but they went through that and they, you know, didn't have anyone to teach them the Bible. So we would go and we would share the word. And just over the years, it's just been so beautiful, so gracious. It's not my lie. It's not my life. It's not your life. I feel like so many people, unfortunately, are just living their own life so comfortable. And God says, listen, I'm coming. And so don't be sleeping, number one, to watch, and number two, to just make sure you wear the righteousness of Christ. Verse 15, behold, I'm coming as a thief, behold, Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. What does it mean, keep his garments? It means that you you just wear the righteousness of Christ. You guys, when you become a Christian, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so you serve him, you abide in him. Like John chapter 15 says, you abide in the vine. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ until the day you see him face to face. You never stop. You no, know, one person said, Christ's return is often compared to the coming of a thief. It implies suddenness and unpreparedness as far as unbelievers are concerned. And so we read the last bowl in verse 17. It says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. I love that. It is done in 2021. No, I'm just joking. It's going to happen soon, though. And, and there were noises, and thunderings, and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, the great city was divided into three parts, and more than likely, that's in reference to Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, which could be anywhere from 50 to 100 pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hailstone. That plague was exceedingly great. And so we see now the seventh bull, and this is just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. When we get into chapter 17 and 18, we're going to see something that's woven in already, which is the judgment of religious Babylon and the judgment of commercial Babylon. And so this is right before Jesus comes, this seventh bull, and it's amazing when you look at this right here, how um, this great earthquake takes place and the entire topography of the earth is actually altered. And so I don't know for sure, but it says right there, no no island is found, no other mountains are found. This earthquake, it just, it just changes everything. And I like what one person said. I think it might be true. Imagine if it was They said that basically what's going to happen is all the land masses will rejoin um, and then all the mountains will be flattened except Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem is exalted and it's from there that King Jesus will rule. And so I like that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. When you look at this, you see the Lord is just basically saying, hey, Uh, I'm telling you guys in advance what's going to happen. Those of you who are living in the last of the last days, that generation, you're seeing it with your own eyes. And so there needs to be that urgency within us. You know, a custodian, I read a story, who would patiently uh, each week wait for a group of seminary students to finish their basketball game, would, as he waited, study his Bible. One day as the students were leaving the gym, they noticed the man carefully reading. And one of the guys asked him, what book are you reading? And the custodian replied, it's the book of Revelation. And the student then said, if he understood the book, since there was so much prophecy. And the custodian said, oh yes, I understand it well. Jesus Christ is the winner. And I just want to make sure that I'm on his team. And that's pretty simple, huh? That, that's pretty much how it works. You got to make sure that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're serving Him, that you're following Him, that you're listening to Him, that you're emulating Him. Let me ask you a question today. Are you all in? Are you all in? You know, because remember what Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There is no middle ground. And that's why I want to encourage you guys, man. This is it, full bore, completely committed to Jesus Christ because judgment is coming. And so three things in closing. Number one, we need to be repentant. We need to be repentant. Any sin in your life? You guys know what it is and you're holding on to it. Listen, man, you want to make sure you let it go because that sin will get in the way of you and God. Whatever it is, there should be no sin that we hold on to. We need to be repentant. Number two, we need to be ready. I mean, to be, to really, really be ready. To again, like I said, and I want to make sure I make it clear, I don't know for sure. The Lord, it might be another thousand years. And so, one of the things about Christians is we live in this whole thing where different dynamics. God is sovereign and in control, and, you know, he's the one that's working out his will, but that mingles with my free will. Neither are violated. And all I can say is that it is possible to live your life as if Jesus might come today, and at the same time realizing that maybe he might delay. So all I know is that, number one, you got to be repentant. Number two, got to be ready And the number three, got to be reaching. Reaching out to other people. If the Lord is coming, then we need to be reaching. How do you reach out to people? You share the gospel with them. You tell them about Jesus. You know, one of the interesting things that I found, and I'm just going to share this with you guys. Some Christians, they don't know how to fish. When the Lord said, hey, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, for whatever reason, they're using tools that would absolutely be, but not affect. You're pushing people away when you're actually supposed to be drawing them. And so, what Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I become all things to all men. This one, they might need, not that you compromise, but I want to do whatever I can to reach that person and that person and that person because I want to win them to Christ. And so the Lord will show you the approach. The Lord will show you the bait. It's kind of interesting. Just be yourself. I know I'm not trying to tell you to be someone different. But in that, as you're reaching out, God will use your mind. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we need to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath.